excited now. We're going to show a, a short video clip and then we'll get into the Word of God. This is the missional church. Simple. In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. Great music, compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome, and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, What about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh web page, and offering to host the world's greatest event. The church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church in the community. The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. How many of you have ever seen that video before? I showed it in 2018. So, um, you know, I was looking back, I was like, have I seen that before? That's been, that video's been bouncing around kind of on, on my computer since 2010, and I've probably shared it with every church that uh, I've been a pastor of. But uh, I also didn't remember the whole sermon that I preached in 2018. I don't know what's wrong with me. But uh, so I'm Pastor Marv, like, I don't remember that sermon. But uh, I do have a message for you this morning. And, and I hate when public speakers tell you about the journey they're, they're on before they share the message. Like, it's the, it's the bridesmaid speech. When I was asked to give this speech today, here's what I thought. It's like, we know you were asked. Get to the message, right? And as pastor, maybe I spend a little too much time on me as the messenger, but uh, the message I have to share with you today is, is for sure challenging for me. For me, it's a bit of a continuation of what the Lord had laid on my heart last week of wake up, wake up. Don't just be in a sleepwalk. Don't just be in a slumber, but wake up and understand the present time. I think that video showed in part a bit of a synopsis of, of looking back at the church that, yeah, we'll just hold a bigger event and people will come. And, and maybe that's not exactly how it's always been done. But in my experience, there's been a lot of championing and, and celebration of when a big event goes well. And you know what I don't seem to see in this book, in the scripture, is that Paul and Peter and James and John were amazing event planners. Like, did you see the lighting for the Sermon on the Mount? Did you see how amazing it was on the day of Pentecost, their sound system? Did you feel that subwoofer when Peter was talking? You don't see that. The kid left on cue. That's cool. Um, 
You don't see that in the scripture. Yes, discipleship, making disciples happens sometimes in a, in a sequence of events. It happens in, in places and times that are regular. It happens in an hour you can see on the clock, and it also happens in a, in a kairos, that, that, that season of time you see discipleship happen. But I'm convinced that, you know, more than in 2010, more than in 2018 when I shared that, that video for the first time, that, that we need to change towards this, everybody shares the good news, that we are the church, that the church really has left the building. Now, is it wrong to invite people to a gathering of Christians? Obviously not. Does it have to be either or? Maybe not. Maybe it could be both and. That we would welcome people into a gathering together that would excite them about a relationship with God. But what if they already have heard all about the Lord? They have seen him demonstrated in your life so that when they come to church, they go, oh, this is, this is what it looks like. This is what the family looks like. You've been telling me about your father in heaven. But now I've met his family. You know, God has no problem accepting back wayward sisters, wayward daughters, wayward sons, wayward brothers. But brothers and sisters sometimes have the worst time getting along. And our Father in heaven wants to welcome people back. And he's, he's been laying on my heart over a long time. And it's like, I, I haven't wanted to answer that alarm clock. Where he says, wake up. You, we've got to reach those who are, not, who are not connected, who are far away. We've got to reach those who, who are broken and hurting. And, and we've got to reach people who, they're really, really nice people. But if they were to die tonight, they're going to they're gonna meet a maker. They're going to meet the maker. They're going to meet the judge of all things. What's that going to look like for them? So I, I'll be honest, you know, not that every message I preach, am I performing perfectly? Jill, be quiet. But it's true. I didn't want her to say like, amen to, to that really heartily. But this, this reminder that we have to be telling New people about Jesus. I was thinking about it this week, and I'm kind of task-oriented. Um, you may say I'm friendly. That's just because being friendly is a task um, to me. No. Um, but, like, I think task-oriented, and I was thinking about Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he's made in it this, 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 this set of boxes that, that have, there are four boxes, and the two things to kind of chart out there is things that are important, and things that are not important, and things that are urgent, and things that are not urgent. And they, they kind of cross-reference those things. There are some things that are both urgent and important. There are some things, though, that are important, but, you know, they're not really urgent. And then there's some things that they feel urgent, but they're not really important. And then there's this terrible box of they're not important, and they're not urgent, and that's a lot of where we live is in that quadrant sometimes. This is American entertainment and, and, and just like, like getting high, right? Like it's not urgent, it's not important, but we can waste so much time there. But a lot of people want to live in the box of just urgency and importance. They want to just, I want to put out fires, I want to put out fires. Well, anyways, I was thinking about this and I, and I put it before our, our church staff. I said, what is evangelism? 
how does that belong? What quadrant does that belong in? Because I'm the boss, they played nice. Oh, you know, we talk about that. But after I talked with them about that, I was thinking, is it really as believers, is it a task? Or ought it be part of who we are? If we're children of the Most High God, who sent his only son to die in our place, if we have been forgiven much, if we are ambassadors in this world, our home is actually in heaven, we're citizens up there, and we just live down here, isn't it more than just a task? In 2 Kings chapter 7, you can turn and read. Um, this isn't the main text for the day. It will be in John chapter 20, but I'm not going to stop you from turning your Bible to read. In 2 Kings chapter 7, there's a story of the city in Samaria that was surrounded by this Aramean army. And in it, there's a man of God named Elijah. And Elijah's in there, and this city has been besieged for quite some time. Meaning that this army gathered around, and they didn't really want to fight them. They just, like, we'll just wait them out. They're going to die in there. They don't have food. They don't have water. And, and so the description in chapter 6 is pretty horrifying of, like, horse heads are going for expensive uh, prices because that's the kind of food that was being valued. And in fact, the, the thing that kind of brings things to the head is the king of that city hears about two women who have resorted to cannibalism to survive. And the king goes to the man of God, Elijah, and he's like, what? How can this go on, right? I'm just summarizing a little bit. And Elijah says to him, tomorrow, tomorrow, flour is going to go for cheap. Food prices are going to be down. 99 cent whoppers shall return. To, you know, like, this is what's going to happen. And the king's attendant laughs. That There's no way that's happening tomorrow. And Elijah says, well, you're not going to see it. And that actually ends up being true. Well, outside of the city walls were these lepers. It says how many of them there were. I couldn't remember first service. I can't remember now. There's these lepers who were outside of the city. Lepers were people who were unclean. Their skin, they had a skin disease. They were, they were kept separate. Back then, you know, with their technology and medicine, they didn't know what to do with these folks. But they said, just keep away. We don't know a lot about infectious diseases, so just stay outside of the city. Well, they're boxed in by that army as well. And they're getting hungry as well. One of them says to the other, well, why don't we, since we're starving and going to die, at least try you know, to make our way out or to go to the army of the Arameans, those surrounding the city. And maybe they'll kill us, but we're going to die from starvation. At least we can do something. Not a bad idea. Well, they go and they do something and they realize it's night. They go in and the tents are empty. Food's sitting around the fire. There's, there's loot to take. This army is missing. So they start eating and eating and eating. And in verse 9 of chapter 7, it says, Then they said, the lepers said to each other, What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this. Let's report this to the royal palace. My dad was reading that passage of Scripture and mentioned it to me, and it stuck out to me that, 
Sometimes we can be like those lepers who have found what everybody is starving for. And we forget that we need to tell other people. There's no law that says they have to do that, but they know they will be punished if they don't share good news like that. How much more should we, who have found the bread of life, the water that we're thirsty for, we were hungry, we were thirsty, and Jesus said, my body is broken for you. Take of it and eat. How much more should we be sharing that with other people? I heard somebody describe evangelism or good news telling as one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. It can be that simple. Something we're going to try and say more around here and not just say it, but live it, is found people, find people. On the back of your bulletin, there's usually just a blank spot for sermon notes. I'm sure you never play tic-tac-toe there or write notes to the person next to you. Um, If you do, leave them in the seats. I love to read them after. Um, But uh, on the back there, we actually have a little bit of prompts for for what we're going to do and some notes there that found people, find people. But there's one, two, three, four, five, because I didn't trust you to number things. But what if we would pray for five people who don't yet know Jesus and individually challenge ourselves to that? We'll, we'll get there. Friends, we're, live, we're, we're called, we're sent, we're commissioned. The main scripture we're going to look at is in John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. If John had a great commission in his gospel, this would seem... This would seem to be it. The Great Commission, as we most usually, most regularly refer to it, is actually in Matthew chapter 28. Ending the book of Matthew, the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the accounts of Jesus' life on earth. And Matthew ends with this in Matthew 28, starting at verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples. This is after the resurrection. He's risen from the dead. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. As you go, make disciples in the nations, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's that's what we often refer to as the Great Commission. He's going with us. We're on this mission. Surely I am with you always. Don't call me surely. No. Surely spelled a different way. Absolutely he is with us always, so we don't have to be afraid. Well, on Easter Sunday, the very first, on John chapter 20, verse 19, we read, On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Probably said shalom in Hebrew. Peace be with you. After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side, evidence of the the crucifixion. He was who he was. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them 
and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Jesus says some curious things here. He starts with something a bit repetitious. I mean, first of all, showing himself to them after the resurrection. Holy cow, um, the the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, talks about uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples, then to around 500 people at once. John's gospel is written when some of these people could still be alive. John, obviously, being one of those people who saw Jesus alive. And Jesus begins with peace. Peace be with you. There's so much fear. So I'll, I'll insert myself in this. You must think that, like, as a pastor, like, oh, you just must talk to everybody about Jesus. I promise you I am a little fearful about it at times. But what do I, I mean, why should I not have peace? Especially if you think about five names that you could write down of people who don't yet know Jesus or who are in a shaky place with God. They're usually people you like. Family, relatives, friends. You shouldn't be afraid of to talk to them about Jesus. Jesus says, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. A lot of us focus on our inabilities or our fears. Friends, we should be thinking about compassion that would override all of those things. You know what? I'm, I'm going to put those things aside because I care so much that this, this is so real to me. His love for me. Maybe one of the problems that we have with leading others to a relationship with Jesus is we're not there. We haven't learned how to show somebody that you can be justified in Christ because we haven't been sanctified. We haven't been washed. We haven't been cleansed. We just don't care. He says, peace be with you twice. And he repeats something that he has said before in John chapter 17 when he was praying. The Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Elmer Towns, in his commentary on John, says this verb implies a commissioning with the authority similar to that of an embassy representing a foreign government. Jesus says, I'm sending you as I have been sent. He's repeating John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus doesn't say try to avoid the world, doesn't say have as little to do with them as possible. He doesn't say just uh, hang out with Christian people in the church and try and stay away from those who use bad language and are bad people. He says you're being sent into your job, into your neighborhood, into your networks, into your circumstances, your situations. This is why you're on this planet The Father has sent me. Matthew Henry says, Was he sent not to be ministered to, but to minister? Was he sent not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him? Well, so were they, the disciples. And so are we. Not to be ministered to, but to minister. You know what has really impressed me lately about some believers? and it's some of you, is your attitude of service. Not, wow, they have all sorts of skills. Bow staff skills, all sorts of skills. Girls only like guys who have skills. No. What's impressed me has been service. 
people who have a servant's heart who say, how can I serve you? That's, that's what's impressed me in the church. Those, those leaders actually in our denomination who have who've said, Brooks, how can I serve you in the next couple weeks? That shouldn't be strange, honestly. Shouldn't be talking about it like it's a novel idea, but honestly, lately, it's felt like it. Because sometimes the church can get so excited about, hey, we want to be able to serve people when they come to this place. I got a great email from somebody this week. I'm not sure if they're in the room. I'll, I don't know. But just to confirm, they said, Pastor, and they're somebody who totally understands when we gather together, it's not just like, hey, sit in a room and the pastor talks. There's kids getting blessed in each of the rooms down the hallway. There's, there's way more than just sitting together in a room, sit still while I unstill. They know all of that, but they said, Pastor, I'm worried that when you say that we need to awaken as a church, that it's all inward and it's not out. That there's people who are sick and need visited. There are people in prison. There are people who who need clothing. There are people who who need the sustenance of life. What are we doing about that? And this person knows it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both. But how sad it is sometimes we focus so much on waxing the floor of the life-saving station but not going out to save anybody who's drowning. Because we're worried like, well, when they get saved, we want them to see a really nice floor. Like, I'll be honest, I've spent so much time at times as a Christian worrying about things that are not important and they're not urgent, but they're fun. When Jesus returns, he's probably not going to be excited how how good I am at using Adobe Premiere to edit videos. I doubt it. But sometimes I spend time there. Like, oh, if we could just, you know, we're doing online church this week. Let me edit the video just a little bit better. Friends, I don't know what, I'll, I'll just be transparent. That's some of the stuff that I can waste my time on because you get, oh, the video looked nice. Well, who cares if the video looks nice? People are dying and going to hell, and they haven't heard, who cares about the name of Sue Wesleyan Church? They haven't heard the name of Jesus. Jesus breathed on them, lowered his mask, right? <sighs> breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The word Holy Spirit in Hebrew and in Greek in the Old Testament and New is this word for wind. It's this, this word for wind. When you read earlier in John chapter 3, Jesus says, yeah, you could, flesh gives birth to flesh, but Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit. And the Spirit, the wind blows wherever it pleases, so is it with those who are born of the Spirit. You know, sometimes people who follow the direction of the Spirit of God, other people will want to talk you out of it. And go, eh, that doesn't make sense. As believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ who know that the wind blows wherever it pleases, we should say, God's sending you there? That's awesome. 
God's calling you to sell that thing. God's calling you to to take over your workplace with love. We're not going to talk you out of that. Do that thing. We did something a few weeks ago, and I apologize to a number of people who, uh, who attended. Not everybody, but we had something six weeks ago, maybe not even that long. It was an evangelism training event. It was a Wednesday, Tuesday night. We asked you to come, and, and we were preparing. This summer, there is an organization coming to our community that's going to do an outreach event where they preach the gospel. Guys are going to ride BMX bikes or dirt bikes, and like, hey, there's the greatest event ever, right? And like, people are going to come. And that's, again, it doesn't have to be that we don't do that. We can't only do that. Anyways, they, they said, hey, we've got this pastor from downstate. He can train your folks to share their faith. And this is something we were looking for. We had, we had some concerns that maybe this wasn't going to be this guy's sweet spot. But we invited him anyway, hoping he would bring the fire. And you know, he came that night and, and he read to us from a tract. A tract is a little pamphlet. And he just read to it from, with us. And it was fine. He didn't say anything wrong. But it was so stale, dry. Made, made coming into a relationship with Jesus about assenting to the right amount of facts about who Jesus is. Almost made Jesus' name seem like a password at the door of heaven. That we're going to get to the door of heaven. There's going to be a littler door on it. Somebody's going to open it up and say, what's the password? We're going to have to say Jesus. You're right, you know, and let us in. It it almost seemed to, and, and I've been there before. I'll confess that at times it's just like, if somebody will pray the wording of this prayer or something like it, then, yay, we've got a new church attender. Not realizing that there's a new birth there. In fact, at that night when, when he was here, probably the most helpful, but in some ways, I would say kind of the goofiest was, he said, now role play, pretend, get in a partner, and then like lead them to Jesus. And that was, it was probably the best part of the night, but in the other sense, it's like, that's an intellectual transaction. When you're really leading somebody to say he is Lord. It's more than just like you prayed a prayer once. It's they're becoming a disciple. You've received the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, we read, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced one died for all. And therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new, has, the new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, making things right. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making 
his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When we boil down evangelism to getting somebody to pray a prayer and just read a tract, we are downplaying a couple things. We're downplaying the sins that that person feels the weight of, the guilt of, the struggle with, the addiction to, the big answers to the questions, and we're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, just pray this three sentences. Yeah, that's all, that's all you got to do. We're downplaying the real-life struggle. And secondly, and probably more importantly, we're downplaying the work that Jesus did to forgive sins. He died on the cross not so we could just know his name, but so that our sins would be forgiven. He died once and for all, and that love compels us. So friends, we have to be a part not of, of making converts, though that's not a terrible word, not making just Christians, and that's certainly not a terrible word, or church attenders, and not a, ba- not a bad idea. But you know what? The, the book of Acts, in the most regular sense, refers to what we are as disciples. Second and third place to that is brothers and sisters. That's what we're called to be. So found people find people. I want to do some, two things before we end. Um, I want you to write down those five names, but before you do that, and you're smart, you'll figure that these are connected. Get out your cell phone and show the person next to you some pictures of people you love. I know some of your grandparents and you're like, I am so excited. I love showing pictures. But really, honestly, if you have, if you've got a wallet with photos that flip out, bonus points to you. Show some pictures of some people you love. I mean, because this isn't just some like imaginary thing. I see many of you not going for your phones. Knock it off. Come on, play along. Get out your phone. Like this, there are real people that you love. Why not show a picture of them to somebody next to you? One or two dog or cat pictures is fine. Two-legged people, preferably. Maybe even tell the person who that person is. Let me just tell you, next Sunday is going to be exciting. I told you there are two things. That's one. Look at those, but... Something else where you're doing that is uh, next Sunday we have three adults who want to be baptized. If you want to be baptized, just contact me, the church, fill out one of those forms on the back of your bulletin, tear it off. The people who have walked from darkness into the light. Um, We've got a healing to celebrate. You remember a few weeks ago we prayed for a a little baby who uh, went back to the doctor and the doctor's like, hmm, I'll let the mom tell the story next week, but there's nothing wrong with this baby anymore. And so we're, we're, we're going to celebrate that together. Um, it's also going to be Marv's last Sunday, whatever that means. Um, he begins intentionally to focus on, on making disciples sent by God to Kinchlow, and many others will be going as well, but um, a, a few others, maybe a few more should go on. Maybe next week God will 
push you on a little bit more. Um, we're going to celebrate those who are sent. We're going to celebrate just how God's been on the move. Last thing to do. So you showed pictures, and maybe you're worried, like, how do I talk to those people about God? And that's a great question. But what if you flip that and say, I need to talk to God about these people? Don't, don't forsake the one for the other, but like both. Praying that God would open up an opportunity for you to help them, to bless them, to bring them a word of encouragement, to rejoice with them, to mourn with them. I'm sure there's, there's got to be someone in those pictures whose spiritual life you have concerns about. There's got to be someone in those pictures who's at a point where things are sort of shaky between them and God. So write down five names. We're going to play a song. Um, write down five names while the song is playing and then start to pray for them. If you need to figure out who five people are, just think Franco. I heard this acronym. Uh, friend, relative, acquaintance, neighbor, a co-worker, Franco. Think of, of who, you can, who you can pray for. And as the song plays, pray for them. And then I'll dismiss us.
So, Father, I pray that for those who believe in you, that we would receive that fresh breath of your Holy Spirit, that wind that would drive us and fill our sails and push us along, Father. I pray that uh, in the jails that we work in, in the hospitals we work in, around those who are in need of physical goods and services, Father, there's already a church There's already believers who are representing you. And Father, help us to remember that we don't have to necessarily explain you. Father, would people be confounded by our love? May they have to say we have to to somehow account for these people's love. And would, would we be able to answer kindly and clearly that it's because we have been loved? that your love compels us. It compels us not to just read to somebody from a, a tract, a piece of paper. It compels us to make disciples, to live life with people and show them the way of love. Father, we thank you for how you're moving, for how you're working. I pray that you'd work in fathers' lives, especially today. That you'd maybe give them at least a break for a minute of being critical on themselves and accept the kindness of, of those who might show it to them today. And Father, I pray that they would, uh, and me as well, would get up and wake up. Wake up, Father. We want to we hear your voice and follow it in the days to come. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before we go, is that that baby's first time at church? Yeah, Cal and Katie. What's the baby's name? I've, I haven't met him yet. Hudson. Hudson was in the NICU for quite a while, and we're really glad to see Hudson today. Yeah, cool. All right, go in peace. Uh, fathers, we have a Frisbee for you at the door, because um, fathers should be fun. So take a Frisbee with you, and don't whine about what color you get. <laughs>